Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter. Hi. And we'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Tilly Fay from the Refugee Action Collective Sydney. And we're going to be speaking to her about um, the repealing of the Medivac bill. The coalition government has want, is wanting to repeal it. It's in the lower house and um, in November um, it's going to be debated and we're going to be speaking to her about that in an upcoming rally and looking at some of the atrocities um, that, uh, and medical issues that are happening with refugees and asylum seekers. Then after that, um, we're going to be speaking with Samantha Lee. Um, she's a lawyer from Redfern Community Legal Centre. Sam is actually the head of um, Police Accountability at Community Redfern Community Legal Centre. We're going to be speaking with her about a launch of report in August in regards to um, changing the strip search laws in New South Wales. And then after that, we're going to be speaking with Meg um, Clement-Kuzner um, from People with Disability Australia, um, again, around violence and prevention of violence um, for people with disability. So we're going to talk to her about the Royal Commission and some of the issues um, surrounding that, including prisoners. 3CR. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton's move to repeal the Medivac bill and restrict medical transfers from offshore to Australia has passed the lower house and is likely to come to the Senate in the late November sitting. The medical need is clear. Since the bill was introduced in March, the government has agreed to transfer over 20 people and 80 people under the provisions of the of the Act, mostly from Manus Island. On the line, we have Tilly Fay from the Refugee Action Collective Sydney, and we will be speaking with her informally about this bill, and we will speak also about the upcoming rally coming up in November. Hello, Tilly. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. And we've got Peter here doing tech stuff. Hi. So, um, <laughs> Hi, Peter. <laughs> so, Tilly, if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit of um, – talking to us a little bit about the bill and giving us some background about what's happening and why is it that there's a rally coming up in November and is it going to be a day of action? 
thanks. Um, about the, the Medivac bill specifically, um, obviously this was a real win for the campaign that we had earlier this year um, to have such a, you know, such huge presence on the streets and such a big profile in national media that it was able to get through the parliament under a sitting Morrison government at that, um, this legislation to be able to bring people to Australia um, under medical transfers. Um, previously, the process for getting people off Manus and Nauru was through individual legal cases, um, which did did bring a number of people here. Um, and now that figure with the Medivac cases as well is up to uh, almost a 1,000 people. So um, it's a real huge thing for the campaign that we've managed to bring a 1,000 people to Australia from Manus and Nauru so far. Um, and the, um, the bill itself, since it's been introduced, you know, as you said, there's that figure of 80 is probably up to about 100 approved for transfer now, but it's still a pitifully really small figure, you know, um, with the amount of, you know, there's about 600, 800 people still there. I don't know the exact figure, but every single person in those camps is in desperate need of um, medical attention for both physical and mental illnesses. Um, you know, after six years there, there's no denying that every single person in the camps is in need of being transferred to Australia quite urgently. Um, and, yeah, so obviously these these rallies that are coming up in November, there is one in Melbourne on the 23rd of November. That's time to be just before uh, the Senate sits. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to get people out on the streets, you know, demanding to not repeal this, Medivac legislation that's sort of a glimmer of hope for refugees who are increasingly desperate in the camps. Um, so we don't we don't know yet about whether there'll be um, a national day of action, but that's definitely something that the refugee action groups all around the country would be thinking about doing um, because we need to make it as big in the national conversation as possible before um, Dutton tries to pass this through the Senate in November. I'm not surprised, actually, that Dutton has has um, undertaken to do that. I'm not surprised that the coalition government is wanting to reduce um, Manus back to the medical hellhole that it was before mm. um, because that way they can actually start refusing medical transfers again, can't they, and obstruct um, the medical records. Exactly, yeah. There's, there's definitely obstruction of medical records happening still, even with the Medivac absolutely in yep. place and it's just you know it's just evidence to it's there's this really inescapable fact that the lives and the safety of people in Manus and Nauru lies squarely in the hands of the Australian government um they can't deny that they can't run away from it as much as they're trying to and the medivac legislation is in law as a testament to that fact that we do have a responsibility for the medical needs of people in Manus and Nauru so that that's something that the government doesn't want to admit. They'd rather sweep this under the rug, not talk about Manus and Nauru anymore, um, have us believe that it's now in the hands of the Papua New Guinean government. But clearly, after detaining people for six years, that's absolutely the responsibility of Scott Morrison and the government. And we know that the Medivac bill by itself will not get everyone off Manus and Nauru. It's really important, isn't it, for the government to close the camps that 
are destroying the health and well-being of refugees and asylum seekers. We mm. want, we need to bring them to Australia, don't we? Mm, absolutely. Like it's the people people in detention. Like we all you know see it on social media and stuff. It's absolutely the suicide attempts and all of that is getting worse and. Medivac isn't fast enough to stop that desperation, unfortunately. In fact, it's only gotten worse since um, since the coalition government was re-elected and um, obviously people are really fearing that, that those medical transfers aren't going to happen. So while the Medivac legislation is a process, the government could turn around tomorrow and say, bring every single person here. Um, and that's absolutely what still what we should be pushing for them to do. Absolutely. So the the rally on the twenty third of November and the Do and Time show um, will actually be providing extensive coverage in the lead up to that rally. Um, it is happening on the twenty third of November at the State Library. So it's a Saturday. Um, it's at two to five pm, and. The demands of the Refugee Action Collective, I'm sure, would be similar to yours, your, the collective over there, Matilda. So what are the demands? Um, we, we have a lot. There's a lot to be done about yeah. immigration in this country. Um, but For in this regards to Manus rally. and Nauru, um, yeah. in regards to Manus and Nauru and for this particular rally, it's to um, save the Medivac bill, um, keep it in place and... I mean, secondly, just to bring every single person on Manus and Nauru here, um, which is long overdue. And, you know, it sounds like a big thing in, with the state of, of politics in this country, but we were able to mobilise something of that scale with the Kids Off campaign and with the Let Them Stay campaign and with um, all the rallies to to bring the past the Medivac bill in the first place. So... Really, if we're able to get numbers on the streets, um, bring it up within our unions, um, you know, the um, Refugee Action Collective Victoria, I'm sure, like us, would have heaps of materials available if people want to get posters and flyers and put them up in their communities and in their workplaces. Um, you know, that's that's how we did it last time and that's how we can do it again, even, even under Morrison. Look, thank you so much for coming onto the program Tilly. So basically for listeners, um, we've just um, been been speaking about Dutton's move to repeal the Medivac bill and restrict medical transfers from offshore to Australia. And Tilly, it's, it's true, just to summarise, that this bill has passed the lower house. Our um, politicians um, are a disgrace and um, it's likely to come to the Senate in the late November sitting for debate. So people need to mark their diaries for that rally. Any final comments, Tilly? Um, yeah, well, I would note that there's a couple of other things that people can do in the lead-up to that rally. I know that Refugee Action Collective Victoria is doing a speak-out um, where there's a woman who's survived Nauru detention and is now speaking out about it. I think I believe she's actually the first refugee to um, come to Australia and then speak out on on her experience in the camps. So that's on the 2nd of September, if people would like to get to an action um, a little bit earlier than the November rally. Um, so that's mon on the Monday evening at 6.30, September 2nd. Um, and all the details for that are on Refugee Action Collective Victoria's Facebook page. Um, but, yeah, and then building up to that, yeah, we really need to spread the word and get the word around for that rally on November 23rd. 
Um, you know, and in Victoria and all around the country, there'll be refugee action networks doing that. Tilly, thank you so much and, and take good care and I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. That was Tilly. That was Tilly Fay uh, speaking about the Medivac bill, bill and the fact that uh, the government is the coalition government is trying to repeal it. As I said, it's an absolute disgrace and an atrocity uh, for that to happen. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. We will be speaking with Samantha Lee, Head of Police Accountability from Redfern Legal Centre, about the launch of a report. Um, Redfern Legal Centre will be launching a report at the University of New South Wales calling for changes to New South Wales strip search laws. On Thursday the 22nd of August at 10am, Redfern Legal Centre will launch a detailed research report examining the use of police strip search powers in New South Wales. And I have taken the liberty to quote from the media release um, that was compiled by Redfern Legal Centre. Sam, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Now, the report entitled Rethinking Strip Searches... um, that's commissioned by Redfern Legal Centre and prepared by Dr Michael Grucock and Dr Vicky Centres from the Faculty of Law at the University of New South Wales. Could you talk a little bit about the report and give us some background? Yes, of course. This report, we commissioned it after a number of our clients were coming forward with quite disturbing stories about being strip-searched by police and their cases highlighted to us that they were being strip-searched, um, we would allege, not according to the legislation. So we then delved into looking at this issue and uh, pulling out some data in regards to police and strip-searches. And what we found is that there has been a 50% increase in strip-searches over the past four years. And what we also discovered is that the law governing the use of strip searches by police is quite vague and legalistic and quite difficult to understand. And this has led to, we believe, uh, police not properly following the legislation. And so this report is about clarifying the law and to ensuring there are more safeguards for members of the public. So the police powers are pretty broad. Well, the the legislation, yes, we're looking specifically at Section 31 of the Law Enforcement Powers and Responsibilities Act. And what that says, just in general terms, is that a police person cannot conduct a strip search unless they have reasonable suspicion. But in addition to that, the circumstances must be serious and urgent enough to make a strip search necessary. 
However, the legislation fails to define what is meant by serious and urgent or necessary, and this has led to quite a wide interpretation of what that means. So what happens in practice? Well, various things, unfortunately. Uh, What we're finding in practice is that police are using an indication by a stripper sorry, a drug detection dog, as a reason to conduct a full-body strip search. Uh, there's a interesting case called Atala, which was just before the district court, and that's where a man was found sitting on a wall at 3am in the morning. He was texting. He was approached by three police officers. Uh, they then commenced to order a search. He... Um, resisted that search. He was then taken to the police station and given a full body strip search. Uh, In that case, the court found that the search itself was unlawful and unjustified. But it does signify to us that strip searches are occurring in circumstances which the law did not intend for them to occur. That's actually quite disturbing, Sam. Very disturbing indeed. Um, So the report then, and I realise that it hasn't been launched um, as yet, but are you able to talk about or summarise some of the key recommendations that were made in the report to change strip search legislation? Well, I can summarise for you what the areas that we're looking at changing Mm -hmm. um, and one area is in particular quite important is that is the definition of what is considered a strip search. At the moment because of the vagueness or I guess the lack of guidance in regards to the legislation, a strip search is, uh, may only be seen as when police order the removal of clothing rather than, for example, the pulling out of the back of someone's pants and looking down into their underwear or, or bottom uh, or looking down a woman's top and into her breast area. Unfortunately, as the legislation is worded at the moment, it doesn't make it clear that that type of action should also be considered a strip search. Any type of action where a police officer is looking into the internal clothing or into the bare body should be considered a strip search. So we're wanting to change that part of the legislation. We're also wanting to define what it means, these terms, serious and urgent. Now, the legislation, if you read it properly, it was only meant that strip searches occur in the most exceptional of circumstances. But what we're finding is that instead of police doing just what they could do, which is a general search, they're jumping straight to a strip search. Now, that wasn't the intention of the legislation. And again, we're we're wanting to amend the legislation to make that very clear, that strip searches are not the first port of call, but are meant to be a last resort. Well, you know, welcome to colonisation. I mean, this is a penal settlement, really, when you look at it in Australia, even though it's supposed to be very modernised. But it sounds to me that a lot of legislation actually has to be updated. This one in particular, I mean, other concerning factors about this legislation is that it it doesn't take in consideration 
very important principles of child protection, um, harm minimisation. Uh, it's the only legislation in New South Wales that allows an adult to order a child as young as 10 to take off all their clothing. So for that reason in particular, and of most importance, that this type of legislation needs to be amended. It's not to say that there won't be circumstances where police will need to conduct a strip search. One example might be if the young person has on them something that may they may use to intend to harm themselves or possibly to harm someone else uh, and that would fall within an exceptional circumstance for conducting a strip search. Absolutely. Well, it would be great for people um, to actually turn up to this launch and would it be okay if you then, if you now talked about the launch details? Do you have those or would you like me to read those out? Ah, yes, I have them. Thank you. Now, the, the launch itself is not um, a public launch, unfortunately. It's just okay. a um, media event to present oh, yes. the launch to the, to the public and to the media. Um, but it will be a presentation of, of the actual report um, and we will be distributing the report uh, after that launch has occurred. So if any member of the public would like to get a copy of the report, we will be placing it onto the Redfern Legal Centre website and onto our campaign website called Safe and Sound. That uh, campaign, safeandsound.org.au, is a campaign website where we're advocating for changes to strip search laws. Fantastic. Okay, Sam, well, thank you very much for that useful information because we obviously won't be releasing those details on air. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you so much for that. All good. Um, Sam, do you have any final comments that you want to make about about the, the report? Look, I think it's, it definitely is time for change. Uh, we can't let this law continue as it is. It's causing a great deal of harm within the community and this is time for um, politicians and for members of the public to get on board and make some modest but very important changes to strip search laws here in New South Wales. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for your support. Thank Absolutely. You. And we'll release the link to the podcast once that's done. Thanks a lot, Sam. All right, then. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Sam Lee um, from Redfern Legal Centre and she's the Head of Police Accountability and she was speaking about a report that's being launched in August um, in regards to changing strip search laws in New South Wales that have been causing a great deal of harm in the community. With 3CR855am or www.3cr.org.au we will now be speaking with Meg Clement-Cosner in regards to um, um, the Royal Commission into Disability. She, Meg is actually the Senior Policy Officer around Violence and Prevention and she's from People with Disability Australia. I will very presently allow her to speak about what has been going on with... Um, with the Commission 
And but just to give listeners a little bit of a, a bit of a background, um, people with disability welcome the motion that was passed in the Senate, calling on Miss Barbara Bennett, PSM, and the Honourable John Ryan. AM to step down as commissioners for the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability. And the motion highlighted that both these commissioners were decision makers of public service institutions, which will be the subject of investigation and examination during the Royal Commission and have significant and unmanageable conflicts of interest, which are highly likely to jeopardise the integrity of the Royal Commission. Now, I have actually taken the liberty to quote that from the media release um, recently compiled by People with Disability Australia, just to give listeners a bit of background as to what's happening. Hello, Meg. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Now, Meg, I'm wondering if you could just clarify for listeners your title and also what type of commission um, you're actually going to be talking about, just so that so that we know, because the Do and Time show... Um, does not do very much coverage on disability and um, we need to do a lot more. So if you could just um, talk about the lingo. Absolutely. So I am the Senior Policy Officer at People with Disability Australia. I mostly work on violence prevention and access to justice. And People with Disability Australia is the national peak representative body of people with disability. So it's run by and for people with disability. And the reason that I work on violence prevention is that, unfortunately, in Australia, people with disability are subject to really disproportionate levels of violence in all kinds of areas. So um, with this Royal Commission, the reason that it's so important is that it's going to look at violence against people with disability in all settings and people with all kinds of disability. So when I say all settings, that means things like schools, um, the family home, institutions and residential care facilities, uh, mainstream services like sport organisations or community organisations, everywhere. And that's because we know that the statistics when it comes to violence against people with disability are so bad across all of those walks of life. So does that also include people in the community as well as in institutions? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that's kind of the key point that People with Disability Australia has been making the whole time we've been campaigning for this Royal Commission. Institutions do lead to greater levels of violence, that's really true, and that's why um, people with disability should not be, well, one of the many reasons that people with disability shouldn't be in institutions, but um, it's not just about violence in, in institutions. So we know, for example, that women with disability are about 40% more likely to be subject to domestic violence in the home, for example. And we know that children with disability are more likely to be um, to experience child abuse and child sexual abuse. So it's really important that this Royal Commission looks at all areas of life and that is included in the terms of reference. Absolutely, and that's really important. Is that commission going on now? It has started, yes. And the Royal Commission is now accepting submissions. So... Um, the first announcement of the Royal Commission took place around April and um, was formally announced in May. So we're really 
excited to see it getting started and people to be able to tell their stories and contribute to the Royal Commission. Um, but there have been a couple of things in the way of the Royal Commission really kicking off strongly. And what was that, sorry, Meg? There's there's been a couple of things in the way of the Royal Commission really getting off to a strong start. And um, the main one has really been that there's some issues around conflict of interest with a couple of the commissioners, as you mentioned earlier. Tell us about that. Sure. So since April, when the Royal Commission... Commission and the commissioners for the Royal Commission were announced. People with disability and their allies from all around the community have been calling for two of the commissioners to stand down. And that's because, um, with all respect to the Honourable John Ryan AM and Miss Barbara Bennett, PSM, who have had distinguished careers in the public service, they have been too close to some of the services and institutions that people with disability have uh, have lived in, have used, have potentially experienced abuse in. So we would say that their conflict of interest with regard to that is unmanageable and for that reason, for the good of the Royal Commission, they need to step down. That's okay. So that's really interesting. So we're allowed to speak about this obviously on air. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's so fine. When it you has say, been covered extensively in the media. Good. Good. So, so when you say um, that that Mr. Ryan and Ms. Bennett are too close, what what does that mean exactly? Yes. Sure. So, as public servants, as recent public servants, both Mr. Ryan and Ms. Bennett have uh, been working in areas where they've had oversight of things that um, may be covered in the Commission. So as we discussed earlier, the Royal Commission will look at violence in all sorts of settings, Mm. Um, and that includes disability services that may have been uh, or may still be run by various government departments. Mr Ryan uh, was a very recent public servant for the New South Wales Department of Family and Community Services, that used to be ageing, disability and home care. And he was involved with oversight of residential care programs for people with disability in New South Wales. So what we would say is that for people who may have perhaps taken part in those services, been um, receiving those services in New South Wales, if they've experienced violence or abuse in those services, that's going to be a very uncomfortable conflict of interest for them and may, in fact, prevent people from coming forward. I see. Yeah, so it's about people with disability feeling safe to tell their stories and feeling that they can come forward without risk of reprisal, without risk of um, perhaps a biased panel of commissioners. So it's really important that this, Royal Commission is absolutely at the highest standards of integrity and what People with Disability Australia has um, has been saying and is continuing to say is that whilst we respect these former public servants, we believe that they have been too close to the subject matter that is going to be investigated in this Royal Commission and so it's important that for the good of the Royal Commission they stand down. And just to clarify, Meg, the, these commissioners, they're, they're not disabled themselves, they're service providers, right? 
I'm not aware that either Mr. Bennett or, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, that either Mr. Ryan or Mm. Ms. Bennett have a disability, but of course I can't speak for them. No, of course not. So it's interesting, yeah, because that's actually, that could actually be a power, a lack of, um, like, a power balance, imbalance, sorry, couldn't it? Mm. Because people would be frightened that, you know, they could get their services taken away if they say something things like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so whilst to be clear, neither Ms. Bennett nor Mr. Ryan currently work for uh, the public service or for yeah. the uh, services that we've described, what we're saying is that it's too recent of a connection to those services. So um, in the case of Mr. Ryan, as I described, it was with Family and Community Services in New South Wales. Uh, Ms. Bennett was the Deputy Secretary of the Families and Communities Branch ah, of the Department of Social Services. I see. So what, we've, what we're saying is that the perception uh, and the reality of conflict is too great in the circumstances of these two people. And so... Whilst no doubt they have expertise and have done great work in this area, it is important for the integrity of the commission that that there are commissioners who are absolutely unbiased and who can investigate matters with, um, with no conflict of interest or at the very least with manageable conflict of interest. We think that this conflict of interest is too great and the way that it should be managed is for these commissioners to step down and different commissioners to be appointed. I'm so glad that you've explained that, Meg, because, you know, too often what tends to happen with a lot of commissions and indeed um, a lot of disclosures in regards to people with disability is that there are there are no um, safety nets. And indeed, um, I know this is kind of, it'll be, it'll be a little bit of an analogy, but I'm just going to list this example so that listeners understand. So, for example, um, you know, I, as a, I used to actually be in a group called People for Equality and Not Institutionalisation um, in the mm-hmm. 1980s, and we yeah. were involved with a lot of blockading and protest um, around workers' rights and all, well, also around institutions too and around, um, you know, addressing violence in institutions too. And okay. one of the, one, my, my service was actually threatened. I was actually threatened w- with um, not re- not being able to receive Braille service because of it. Right. <laughs> so wow. even that's a bit of an analogy, but I suppose um, I certainly didn't feel safe at that time, um, you know, having a service um, virtually almost being cut off because I was in that group. And by the same token, if you're actually in the commission and you're wanting to disclose violence, um, a person actually has to feel safe, isn't it, that um, that their services are, are not going to be threatened, right? That's right. And I think that's why it's so important that there is significant dif- distance between service provision and um, and the Royal Commission because not that it, while the Royal Commission will investigate far more than just service provision, it is really important that the services that people will receive and so on, that they feel that they can um, come forward without threat of reprisal, I suppose. 
I'm not suggesting that either Mr. Ryan or Ms. Bennett have no, 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 no. threatened reprisal, but it's about the perception of, of safety, yeah. about the feeling of safety that people know that there's some significant distance between where they may have experienced um, abuse or neglect, exploitation, violence, and the body that they're coming forward to... Um, to have investigate that matter and have um, their voices heard about those matters. That's right, Meg, because it's all about what could happen and it's all about the level of safety. You know, that's, that's yes, what it's all that's about. that's right. And, in, in, and we in, know that this yeah. Royal Commission is, um, is working with some of the most marginalised members of our population. So it's so important that there's no perception that... There, there could be any conflict of interest for um, for the people that they're coming forward to speak to. And what about, so there's going to be new commissioners appointed and obviously um, there's an urging from the disability community to the Prime Minister, um, Mr Scott Morrison, and to consider, mm. to consider a few things. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So at the moment, I need to clarify... Uh, Mr. Ryan and Ms. Bennett are still commissioners yeah. yes, with yes. the Royal Commission. Sure. We are calling for them to stand down, as are many other people, and we are calling for new commissioners to be appointed. Sure. In, uh, people with Disability Australia has called for the majority of commissioners to be people with disability and people who do not have um, do not have a conflict of interest in this matter. And that's what we're calling for um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison to hear, that we want commissioners who don't have a conflict of interest or have a low level of conflict of interest that can be managed. And we also believe that there are many people with disability who would be highly qualified to serve as Royal Commissioners. Absolutely. And, you know, if people want to have a look at that criteria, they can certainly jump on the website of People with Disability Australia to to um, to have a look at all that. Um, and indeed, and, and perhaps the answer is no on this question, I'm preempting here, but what about prisoners with disabilities, Meg? Are they involved in, in the Royal Commission? Absolutely. Oh, good. The Royal Commission oh, is looking surprised. at all settings. So um, it's really important to be clear that people with disability are disproportionately caught up in various places of detention, including immigration detention, including prisons and jails, uh, and including... Other, t- other types of, of detention, such as being um, detained against their will, perhaps in psychiatric facilities. So we are looking in this Royal Commission, it, it does cover those areas as well, and it's really important that the voices of people who've been affected by um, imprisonment are heard. But, of course, that will require lots of outreach on the part of the Royal Commission um, and funding for disabled people's organisations to do that outreach as well so that those voices can be heard. We know that it's something that happens to people with disability far too often, that their liberty is taken away from them. So it would be interesting to see how what that would look like in terms of reaching out to prisoners and whether that would happen in this commission. Exactly, and I think that is something that remains to be seen. Um, I 
do know that the terms of reference for the commission do um, do cover all settings, and that includes places of detention where people may have experienced violence, abuse, neglect, or exploitation. Um, and we do know that in those group settings, those congregate settings, people with disability are much more likely to experience those things. So. Absolutely, people with disability in places of detention experience violence and it's really important that they are able to come forward. Um, the onus, I suppose, is on the government and on the Royal Commission to make sure that they are either um, providing that outreach themselves or preferably also making sure that disabled people's organisations can reach out to um, reach out to prisoners. Meg, thank you so much for coming onto the program and I felt that it was really important to mention prisoners and you um, very rightly also mentioned um, detainees of immigration, asylum seekers and refugees. And because we have, of course, um, a lot of people experiencing mental health um, challenges um, across the board, are there any final comments that you wanted to make about the Commission and how, how can people get in touch um, if they wish to, to be part of that Commission? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the the final thing that I'd say about the Royal Commission is something that uh, People with Disability Australia has been campaigning for for many years and we're really um, supportive of the Royal Commission and the government announcing the Royal Commission, but we need to make sure that the Commission is the best it can be and that means having Royal Commissioners who are absolutely beyond reproach. So in terms of people getting in touch with the Royal Commission and telling their story to the Royal Commission, um, they can go to the Royal Commission website. We have some information about it on um, on the People with Disability Australia website. That's pwd.org.au. Um, at the moment, disability supports and legal supports and therapeutic supports are yet to be announced by the Royal Commission. So we're suggesting that perhaps people wait until those um, those supports are available to go forward. However, people are, you know, able to tell their stories now to the Royal Commission is accepting submissions. Meg, thank you so much for coming onto the program and, and I'd like to actually involve um, People with Disability Australia to come onto our show regularly once every couple of months to to talk about this in more detail. Thanks a lot. My absolute pleasure. Anytime Marissa. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was, um, that was Meg. And you're with 3CR 855am. I'd like to thank all the... Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter.